This podcast is brought to you by FormKeep. Form endpoints for designers and developers. No iframes, JavaScript embeds, or CSS overrides. Try out our sandbox mode before you buy at formkeep.com. Try, try turning your video off in Skype and then turning it back on. Do you try turning it off and turning it back on again? I didn't know that was part of my job. <laughs> that is your job. That's Wait, my do you job. Not have That's access a good... to the mouse with Skype. Me? No, it's over on the other. Tom, it's over. Tom sits next to me. It's on that computer. I mean, I could lean over, but I would be like leaning in front of him. It'd be weird. Okay. That would be weird. Yeah. He can hear you. He just he doesn't have a mic. I mean, I can hear him through your mic. Oh. I like to think I'm the only conduit to Tom and that you must get everything through me like a translator. Yeah, let's try restarting the call. Hi, Derek. Hello, Sean. I wrote code this week, and I realized that I haven't actually been able to spend like a full day writing code in almost a year now. So that was really cool. And I've missed it. I've had the same kind of problem lately. Uh, most of my work lately has been dealing with like, I don't know why you're why you're having that problem, but my problem has been like I'm dealing with administrative kind of overhead, which in this particular project comes in the form of like debugging environments in QA and going back and forth with people about what is actually like meant in this ticket when they say it should be in the correct order like what does that mean it's like this isn't coding i want to get back to just like let's pick an order and go with it right Uh, yeah so lately i've been like i feel like i have not been doing any development but you know i have it's just not been the writing code part it's been the trying to come to agreement on what we're working on and getting the environment set up so right that's been super frustrating i'll be happy when that part is in my rearview mirror but why aren't you writing code um well i should also clarify that when i say writing code i mean doing like not in the context of spending an hour putting print statements in various parts of active <laughs> record to figure out some obscure bug with associations. I mean, like actually, like actually writing, like I want it to do this. I'm going to make the computer do this now. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just because like the base, the sort of the baseline of my job, right, is making sure that our open issue count and pull request count doesn't go up. Okay. And I've just, for various reasons, had things that take like a week of my time that mm-hmm. I am not doing issue triage, so then I come back, and it takes a week to catch up on the week of issue triage that I missed. Right. Anyways, I'm finally all settled in Canada and have started to have like time to actually do my job again, which is great. And to kick it all off, it turns out that we completely broke accepts nested attributes for with new apps in Rails 5. Only with new apps? Only with new apps, and this was actually really... Uh, so my guess, I have to guess... That it has to do with the config with configuration options that get set by Rails new. Yes, okay. exactly. So my first response, because the guy had uh, an app, a sample app that that replicated the problem. I didn't notice that the link to the sample app was a link to a sample app. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, I sent my boilerplate response of, "Please send us a, a reproducible test case that or a script that we can use using this template." Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, "I gave you an app already." So I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I missed that." Uh, so I pull down the app and I'm like, yep, I can reproduce this issue. But there's no reason, like normally that's a thing that we only want to have if it's something that legitimately can't be done in our little one-off script, which usually just means that it interacts with too many parts of Rails to reasonably do all of the setup in a one-off script. And this looked like a thing that should only... Oh, and and so the thing that was failing was um, basically on a new parent and a new child, the presence validation was failing. Okay. So I cre- so anyway, I, t- I tried to isolate it into a script. Couldn't. Mm-hmm. 
somebody else did, couldn't. And then uh, the next thought was, okay, maybe this involves like action controller and action view somehow. Uh, we can rule out action view really easily by just taking the exact params that it was sending and sending those to action controller because that's the only interaction action view can have, right? So we can isolate that out that way. But like setting up in our in our one-off script an actual controller with an actual route going through actual params parsing and all that stuff, giving it exactly what the form builder sent it, still couldn't still couldn't replicate it. And then I finally realized, oh, right, it's the belongs to required by default thing, which is only set to true in new apps. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, our test suite should be failing. Our test suite does not mirror what new apps generate uh, in terms right. of configuration. And that bothers me. Yep. But our test suite also actually legitimately relies on the fact that belongs to is not required by default. And so even if I went through and set that option to true in our test suite, because of how much we rely on that config option being false, like I would have to just manually do required false in so many places that we effectively wouldn't be testing required true anywhere. Why are you using that in so many places? Uh, it's just that the like code generates things that don't have parents because it's tests. Right. But like it, it's no that's no longer a thing that you expect new Rails apps to do. So it seems like updating those tests is worthy, right? Is like a No, it is. It's just a major undertaking. Yeah. I'm just I'm literally just talking about like the last couple of days. I'm I right. I probably will end up doing that. I just that that is going to take like several days of work. Yep. Yep. That makes uh, sense. But yeah. So the, the the issue is that um we generate the presence validation by default. Um and the parent record isn't there, so it fails presence validation. So next question, why isn't the parent record there? Because like we're assigning it, and the presence validation isn't on the foreign key. It's on the actual association. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is because if you do accept asset attributes for, that uh, implies autosave true. And autosave true turns off automatic inverse of. So the, the workaround for this issue in the short term, uh, well, I, and I do still need to fix this, although I bumped it to 501 because it only affects new apps, and it only it happens when they're using a specific feature. But I still need to fix it in Rails itself. But the workaround in the short term was just do invert, like manually set inverse of. That way the, the parent record is, is there on the child. So this is going to be a shipped bug in Rails 5 then? Yeah. You'll just have got, to do inverse of and then give it the, give it the right inverse of? Yeah, because it got reported after the RC went out. And unless it is something that um, like is trivially reproducible and affects the vast majority of applications, that's why we have bug fix releases. Hmm. But it feels like somebody writing a new app is going to pretty quickly come into contact with accepts nested attributes for. Yeah, and if they do, there's a workaround. Okay. But again, like 501 will probably go out uh, within a few weeks of, okay, of 505. I thought you said 51. 501. No, 501. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because a release candidate is meant to actually be a release candidate, and it's just this is not a release blocking bug. Yeah, I feel like you said some things there that if we unpacked would be like, they're head scratchers, right? So accepts nested attributes for implies autosave true. Right. And I feel like autosave is one of those things like you ask it often as like a who can tell me when an association is autosaved and right. what it means. And people are like, uh, I don't know. Well, and if you so, said autosave true, the answer is very simple. The answer is always. Right. <laughs> uh, well, the, the answer is if changed for autosave is true, which basically comes down to if a record on either side has changed. Mm-hmm. Or if any of the other associations in the tree have changed. Okay. So that implied autosave true. And then autosave turns off automatic inverse of. Right. Which is not something like, is that documented anywhere? No. 
Right. So that's undocumented. Well, sort of. Okay. Mostly undocumented, I guess. And you wouldn't know it. And also, right. you wouldn't necessarily intuit it. And also, inverse of itself is another one of those features that people don't... Like myself, I'm just like, ah, why is it trying to run this query again? What if I just... I don't know. What if I put an inverse of here? And it's like, oh, yep, there it goes. And like, it's gotten better now that it's mostly automatic if you use canonic, if you use just the, the canonical names for things. But yeah, the, the turning off inverse of would have... Like, now this makes me trust inverse of significantly less this is the only time that we turn it off and and this is all this all comes together okay um sorry <laughs> no no it's fine but this is like you should be asking these questions like why the hell does this turn off automatic inverse of <laughs> right. uh, but but to, but before that uh oh, wait 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 so we before we lose people inverse of is a way to tell rails that on these two objects these two properties are refer to each other basically right um, uh, for associations. Associations, yes. yes sorry. I so said it, it's a thing that when you load an associate, uh, when you load a has many association or a has one association, it makes sure that the belongs to equivalent has the, the correct record set so that if you do like user.posts.first.user, it doesn't reload the user. Right. And that's what I would see weird things like that in the logs, like in 4.0 days. And I'd be like, oh, it, if you put an inverse here, and it usually, I think it ends up getting caught by the query cache if you've already run it, but like even letting it get to the query cache level is, you know, spending some time and it also pollutes your logs. Right. Um, so adding those inverse of cleared those up. And it can also, and it can definitely miss the query cache depending on various scenarios. Like, it, like if the parent was loaded with a where clause. Right. Uh, but, but it's actually kind of funny if you look in the docs, uh, like I, when I when I really start digging into because um, there's a fix that's going to happen in five one, which is what I want to talk about. But then there's also I still have to fix this in five oh one. And I started looking at like five oh one type fixes for this, which basically means like some sort of hack. I ended up reading through the docs for accept tested attributes for. And it's funny. There is actually a whole thing where it's like if you would like to have a presence validation, you need to manually specify inverse of. And if you don't manually specify inverse of Rails, will do it automatically based on certain heuristics, which is literally like it, that is the exact opposite of what happens specifically <laughs> using this feature. The rest of the time, yes, we automate. Oh, and that's the other thing with inverse of for those who aren't familiar with it. We do it for you automatically right. um, as of 4.2. Uh, or maybe four one. And the only reason you would need to do it manually is if you're using some sort of non-standard association name. Is that yeah? Uh, if or... the uh, if the association name does not match the class, right? Uh, you would need to you'd need to manually specify it. Anyway, so 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 getting back to the whole the, the whole train of thought, right? So it's like, okay, why on earth does autosave true turn off automatic inverse of? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you remove that line and then run the tests, it becomes very quickly apparent. Oh, because of double save bugs that we haven't caught. And there's a pull request actually open right now that fixes this, uh, that adds a flag to avoid the double save bug in this circumstance, and then re-enables automatic inverse of with autosave true. And if you look at the code for autosave associations, uh, which is the name of the module that's responsible for all this, uh, the entire module is a giant ball of flag to avoid double save bugs in this circumstance flag to avoid a uh, double save bug in this circumstance flag to avoid double save bug in this circumstance some of them introduced by me even mm-hmm. and this file is a very frequent source of bugs so uh now that i have time i'm finally i finally sat down and i looked at this i'm like all right so i want to fix this not by like eliminating the double save bug in this case i want to fix the root cause of all of these double save bugs and dramatically simplify this file right and I think the root cause of all of this is that, like, 
auto save associations effectively comes down to like save child association if child model dot changed for auto save and changed for auto save has other things uh the first one is new record um but the, the important part of the, the conditional is uh self dot changed okay and that should be returning false if you try and save it like this should just do what ha- uh, what occurs if you call save twice anywhere else. The second time does nothing, and change returns false. Right. The problem is autosave associations, along with other things that j- involve general autosave stuff, uh, is implemented using active record callbacks. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but like in an after callback, done uh, like checked changed mm. in like after save, so no. it returns true. Because it's referring to the state of the object before you called save? Right. Okay. I guess like we, that's weird, but okay. We clear dirty after callbacks are run. Okay. So like this stuff all uses dirty, but is implemented in terms of callbacks. And then the way dirty works is def save super clear changes, basically. Mm-hmm. And this actually I've gotten several bug reports about in the past. Now there's legitimate use cases for this. Uh, paper trail is probably the most well-known one, uh, which is the the like audit logging stuff and soft delete stuff. And like universally, I actually did a little unofficial Twitter poll, not like an actual poll in Twitter, but just asking people, hey, do you uh, use uh, methods from dirty in after in after save after create or after update callbacks? And if so, what are you using it for? And overwhelmingly, the answer was audit logging. And it makes sense. Like you only want to insert stuff into your logs if like certain attributes change or if the model changed. Because otherwise, save, the save did nothing. But um, at the same time, like changed is supposed to be false after after you're done saving. Like if you do something in an after save callback, one would expect that it does the same thing as if you did model dot save and then ran that and then did that code. Right. And and I do get bug reports periodically about people thinking that dirty like this is a bug in dirty and it should be false. And I've always sort of intuitively agreed with them, but it's always been one of these like. I don't see a good migration path, and there's not a great like reason to change this other than principle of least surprise, which while it's important, this wasn't a big enough like this is so surprising and so overwhelmingly common that I'm gonna make a major breaking change for it. Right. But now now we're starting to see like, you know, actually our code internally can get simplified quite a bit if we do this. So I deprecated all of dirty in after callbacks. Because that's the only way I can, like, dirty itself is not deprecated, and the methods aren't going to get removed or anything like that. But the only way I could see to, to migrate this is to give you a deprecation warning if you ever call any method from dirty inside of an after callback. And then I've introduced two new sets of methods. The first one gives the, the current behavior. So changed question mark uh, becomes uh, saved changes question mark. And we have we have a, a method in in Rails actually that nobody knows about because it's basically useless right now called previous changes, right? Uh, which if you call previous changes after save, and when I say after save, I don't mean in an after save callback. I mean after uh, <laughs> calling save, it returns the result of what changes would have returned beforehand. It's what did ju- what just got persisted basically. Right. In dirty, every other method is basically implemented in terms of changed or changes rather which is a, it returns a hash where the key is the name of the attribute and the value is an array uh, containing the original value and the new value. And so like attribute underscore change just checks if this key is present in that hash. Um, but we don't expose equivalent methods for previous changes. 
So what I've done is basically exposed equivalent methods for previous changes and given them names that I, I think are a little bit more explicit about what we're comparing. Because mm-hmm. there was this really interesting use case that came out uh, it, when I was when I was getting our test suite green with this in, inside of uh, the code for belongs to, uh, where if you're doing touch true, it sets the it, it sets this callback uh, that gets run in after save after touch and after destroy, and um, when I just blanket changed this to use the new methods I'm introducing to preserve the current behavior, it actually broke in the after touch and after destroy case, uh, and that was because this method was basically ensuring that the counter cache on the old parent gets updated if the parent has changed. But the need for that is different in an after touch callback. Because when you call dot touch, it only updates the timestamps. It doesn't persist other changes. Mm-hmm. So the same method is attempting to, if, it, if it's an after save callback, it's attempting to update the parent that was previously persisted as the parent because we've changed it in that way. Uh, and then it all, and it will also end up updating the new parent. But if it's an after touch callback, it's with the same code attempting to update the parent that we know in the database um, because we haven't, even though we've changed the parent in memory, we haven't persisted that change yet. Right. So all of the new methods are focused around what you're actually comparing. Are you comparing what is in memory to what is in the database, or are you comparing what 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 is in the database to what was in the database before the last save? And so that's a common pattern in the method names for the old behavior uh, is like before last save. And then the new behavior is method names like um, so dot change question mark. The equivalent with the new behavior is um, has changes to save. Has changes to save. Okay, makes sense. Yep. I'm I'm not sold on a lot of the method names. I've got a pull request open, which we'll link to in the show notes. And I might still be like uh, bike shedding the the names at that point. Um, Uh Yeah. And I'm not I'm not sure if I want the new behavior methods to be in the public API because once 5.2 or 6.0, whatever the next version after 5.1 is, once that ships, all of these me- methods are straight aliases to methods that already exist in Dirty. But during this deprecation cycle, they're the methods that you would call to get the new behavior without receiving a deprecation warning, which like presumably somebody wants because I do get these bug reports about people trying to use Dirty in after callbacks and getting unexpected results. Mm-hmm. But I might just I might just not have them in the public API. Um, I do need them internally in Active Record because Active Record like cannot use any of the existing methods in Dirty internally in 5.1 unless it is in a place that we are absolutely 100% certain it is not being used from inside of an after callback. Right. Um, which basically only occurs if it's like inside of uh, def save do stuff super, which is in all of our code only only occurs in timestamps. Okay. <laughs> but it's just like it's this long rabbit hole of what is actually going to be like it's a it's a pretty large scope breaking change. Uh, I got a, a, an over like a pretty large response from when I was just asking, hey, are you doing this uh, larger than I expected? I mean, it was only a dozen people or so, but I think like of my Twitter followers who are ever going to respond uh, who are Rails users like that indicates a significant usage. I found I found two places in Shopify's code base that are affected by it. But at the same time, it's also a very mechanical migration. So this is going to go out in 5.1. That part's going to go out in 5.1. Right. I still need to come up with a fix. I was saying, what did you do to fix it in (laughs) 5.01? So basically, I might end up just merging the pull request that adds the the additional flag. Oh, right. Yeah. uh, For 5.01. I want to explore one other alternative that basically involves 
re, uh, effectively re-implementing inverse of in accept nested attributes for, but I'm not sure if that'll be better or not. But I want to try it and see if I like it better than that solution before I merge it. Makes sense. But yeah, the the whole thing was like this long rabbit hole that led to a pretty large scale breaking change, but will make the code way simpler, give us way more consistent semantics in terms of how Dirty interacts with callbacks. But all this stemmed from like a, bu- a bug report that seemed like a very minor bug at the time. And I think it's interesting because it stemmed from ultimately the reason why this bug lasted so long is because the test suite drifted from the default configuration of Rails, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like the bug has been there for multiple versions or anything. But... No, but it, like, it, I mean, it certainly would have, like, if, if, if when the change to make, like, belongs to presence validation default, right? If that had changed some configuration to make that true, like I'm sure when that, when that happened, people were like, oh, we need to update the test suite to run with this and then ran the test suite and we're like, oh, nope, not going to do that, right? But right. Some, some form of tests. I think part of it is that we, we and I, I, remember, I remember saying that I thought this was going to cause problems at the time, like we, we strayed from our normal uh, process for, for this sort of thing because David wanted to accelerate the change. Because normally what we'd do is we would omit the config option or omit a deprecation warning whenever the config option would affect something, but the config option was explicitly unset. Right. And then sometimes we would generate new apps with the new config option set. Sometimes we, would, uh, we wouldn't. Um, it depends on like what the deprecation is for. But in this case, like we're always going to have... And then in the subsequent version, we would have unset treated as... The, the new value. Or we'd have unset, right, because you're going to default it to true, right. Right, and then we would stop generating new apps with any explicit value set. Right. Uh, and then depending on if we wanted to keep the thing around or not, because sometimes we just don't want to maintain that behavior, uh, we might eventually end up deprecating the existence of that config option. Right, and that was the example, um, deprecating something inside of after commit hooks or something like that, like that happened recently where it was like, in 4.2x, some deprecation got added for, um, it was calling some method from inside of after commit or something. I mean, we swallowed exceptions. That's what it was. Yeah. And you could write a config option to say like, yep, yep, uh, I want to opt into that behavior today and stop bugging me about it. And then as soon as you upgrade to Rails 5, Rails 5 gives you a thing that says this config option is no longer, like it doesn't do anything anymore. Just get, so that's like... You know, it's a it's a two step process, and it's kind of annoying if you just did the thing that silenced it in four two, but at the same time, it's like the only way to do these kind of sanely is like yeah. you acknowledge that you understand this new behavior and that it's coming and that it's going to be default, and then you take advantage of the default, and you do that as a two step process. So, yeah, um, it makes sense to me. Well, it's actually like like it's it's interesting like like trying to play archaeologist around a lot of, of the design of this sort of stuff. And the the transaction swallowing uh, exceptions, I'm not sure if that was ever intentional or not. But like dirty and transactions are kind of interesting because uh, like a lot of people are are, are doing after save, uh, do a thing to an external service that is not part of the database transaction. Yeah, uh, which is bad. But it, there's also no guarantee. Like if you wanted to do, if you wanted to put if changed on that, you actually can't move that to an after commit callback. 
because if something called save twice on the same model in the same transaction, then the model wouldn't necessarily be changed in the well. The model would never be changed in the after commit callback. Actually, that was the other fun thing uh, with all of this was the behavior of dirty and after callbacks. That is, after commit was exempt from all of this because uh, in in an after commit callback, dirty behaved like I would expect it to behave in an after save callback. <laughs> uh, okay, but. Like and and we're not doing this yet, but because uh, we 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 attempt to maintain some state when it comes to uh, database transactions, and we roll back whatever state we can. Usually, it's things like primary key, if if that got changed as a result of like basically it gets set back to nil if if uh, the transaction gets rolled back, and other other stuff related to that. And we don't do this yet, but but we could actually do that with dirty, which is kind of interesting. At, like the the part of the reason I think. Well, there's two reasons that the changes I made to Dirty haven't been done earlier. Uh, the first is just that most people who come to, to work on Rails are trying to fix the bug that they're experiencing and aren't worried about the, the architecture of the module or the, or the feature that they're working on, which is why you know we have files like that that are literally... Like that file just is such a screaming example of flag to, fi- like to work around one specific bug. Yep. I, I don't necessarily think that's the worst solution either. Like, no, flag, flag to work around this bug. Okay, we did that once. Oh, let's do it again. And then, like, then it takes somebody looking at the whole thing, like you were saying, and and determining, like, and looking at things like churn, like, yeah. to see, like, how often are we adding these flags? How often are we doing something else to this file? Like, these flags contribute to the overall complexity of this file. It may churn less if we get rid of the need to flag all these special cases. Right. No, and, and yeah, and, and that's the thing is I'm not trying to, like, harp on anybody who does that. I mean, uh, I'm not trying to say, like, if hey, if you're going to come contribute to Rails, don't ever fix bugs without actually thinking about how this impacts the overall architecture of the entire framework. <laughs> right. You must so, understand the whole picture before you do anything. Uh, but, like, that, 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 you know, that over time has led to that's part. I think that's part of the reason the module got that way. But uh, I think another part of it was just dirty was really hard to reason about in the past. And it got a big, big rewrite in 5.0, um, actually as part of a performance optimization that I did. But what I ended up doing was uh, attribute objects, which previously contained a uh, name, a type, and a value before typecast. They gained a fourth argument, which was the original uh, attribute. And they become a singly linked list of every assignment that the field has ever gone through. And then that with some of the guarantees that the type objects have, uh, which will enable mutation tracking between those two things and the fact that assignments create always create new attribute objects because attribute objects are immutable. Basically, like every attribute becomes a singly linked list of every state that we know of. Right. And I end up introducing this mutation tracker object, which uh, effectively acts as a snapshot of the state of an object at any given time. It's like you have an in-memory datomic instance then. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, we can just totally roll back dirty to any point in time if a transaction fails. Mm-hmm. And that will work through mutations as well, which is really cool. Awesome. And so, so like, we could totally, if a transaction fails, undo any changes that were done in after whatever callbacks to models. I'm not sure if we want to do that because that's technically a change of behavior. But it's like, we could do that now. But but that's the thing is, as a result, but after doing all of that, like, introducing, because um, because to do this properly with a deprecation cycle effectively required two parallel in, in implementations of dirty with one basically being deprecated and then in, in, in one in uh, once five one chips uh, I'll be able to remove the, the parallel implementations but it's like because the implementation of dirty now is a bunch of one-liners that forward to this object and the way previous changes is done now is by setting like 
in changes applied, we set previous changes to the current mutation tracker and then the new mutation tracker to a thing that basically cuts off the tail of the list. And, and, and so that made like adding an additional parallel implementation really, really trivial. And so that was kind of cool. Yeah. Taking advantage of uh, the work you did before. Yeah. That's awesome. But, and also just thinking like, we could totally apply this to, to after commit callbacks if we really wanted to in yeah. like interesting ways. And before yeah. commit callbacks because we have those now. Or we had before commit before it. After commit is what we added. Okay. We added one. I don't remember which one we added. One of the two is new in 5.0. <laughs> All right. That sounds like quite the odyssey. Yeah, it was a fun It was week. interesting. And it's interesting because it's like... Um, it ties together so many of the things I think we've talked about architecturally before. Like I was saying before, like we thought autosave was a little weird. Inverse of, I've always been like, I don't understand what's going on here. When do I need it? When do I? When don't I need it? Turns out, uh, I still need it if I'm doing accepts nested attributes for, uh, <laughs> in a new application. Yeah. Um, just more corner cases of things. Um, and like we've talked about how methods behave slightly like differently. I mean, it's just, any code base has these problems, and a code base that's been around for ten or 11 or 12 years is going to um, have more of them, right? Yeah, and it's just a lot of times the hard part with this is finding a migration path. Like I, I was only willing to make this change because this is a big breaking change, but like we have a reasonable migration path and a legitimate reason other than just principle of least surprise, which not to say that we should never make breaking changes because of principle of least surprise, but it needs to be bigger. <laughs> right, it needs to be a bigger, it needs to be either a smaller impact or a bigger win. Yeah. Um, that actually, so I do, I, and this is not like an announcement of a thing that will happen or anything like that. This is a thing that I'm going to explore once I finish landing this pull request and finish simplifying autosave because I'm pretty sure the like all of the don't double save flags can be removed now. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to explore having autosave true be the default uh, mm -hmm. for all associations all the time and then having autosave false actually turn off autosave in 100% of cases. Because autosave false doesn't actually do anything today. Uh, autosave false opts you into that matrix that basically is which parent or child is a new record. Uh, and then autosave true is the always try to save associations if they've changed. Because I think that if autosave can just work consistently and be properly protected by dirty, having it turned on isn't a problem. Like having it turned on by default isn't a problem. And then if we can just have it always turned on by default, there's no reason for autosave false not to actually turn off. Would you need to be more careful about transactions in that case? If autosave, like, because that's going to fire a save anytime you change. Like, let's say uh, you have a user has many posts and I use the user object to add a post to that collection. That's going to fire off saving that post. That, that already post. happens. There's no way to opt out of it. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> if, I, if either the parent or the child are new, it gets saved, and there's no way to turn it off. Right, but let's say let's say neither one is new. Right, you have a post that's not a, not established, not attached to a user somehow. You have a user that's not. This might not be the greatest example, but you have a user that is already persisted. You take right. existing posts, you shovel it onto with the you know less than less than operator, shovel right. that onto user dot posts. That's going to immediately fire off. If no, you, it no, would no, 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 true. no. It's, this is when you do this is when you do user dot save. Oh, okay. All right. So I was misunderstanding that. This is the other thing that's really annoying that I want to address. And I'm not sure if I can come up with a reasonable migration path for this or if I need to. But like shovel operator on an association may or may not persist something. <laughs> right. It depends on the type of the association. Like if it's basically if it's a has many through, it always does it eagerly. Yes. Um, that's I think that's what I was thinking of happening. 
And then if it's a has many, it'll it'll uh, it, and if you're doing exactly what you just described, so uh, it will not persist. Or so if you go the other way, actually. So if you have if if you do post dot user equals a different user. Mm-hmm. No, that's not true either. What is the case? That <laughs> There's a case where it eagerly nullifies or uh, the 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 foreign key on the old record, even though it hasn't persisted the change to the new record, and I can't remember what it was. There's a there, anyway. There's a bunch of cases like where it will eagerly persist, and it comes from shovel operator or assigning, and it's just like this is all way too hard to reason about. Right. And and that's the thing is that I'm not necessarily sure that what I just proposed with autosave true being the default and autosave false actually universally turning off autosave. Like, I don't know if that's strictly better, but it's a lot easier to reason about. And if you right. want something other than always autosave or never autosave, you will have to be very explicit about what gets saved automatically and what doesn't, uh, which I think like just makes everybody it'll it'll make every everybody more comfortable with like save is doing this. Right. We'll all have we'll all be able to actually hold that in our heads very easily. All right, we got to wrap up because I got to go catch a train. Okay. Uh, now that I live in suburbia. <laughs> Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 68. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes and Google Play are much appreciated. If you have any feedback about this episode or any of other episodes, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. Bye.